0: Ladies and gentlemen, to the Peak Endurance Podcast with your host, Isabel Ross. As a personal trainer, accredited endurance coach, and now podcast host, Isabel is bringing you the best advice, tips, and tricks for your health and athletics. She's won two Australian Trail Championships, a 24 hour track race, and many, many more races, as well as participated in the notorious Barkley Marathons. So she knows her stuff. And now, since she's raced all over the world, she's bringing all that knowledge and giving it to you so you can become a better performer as a whole so make sure to continue to tune into the peak endurance podcast to get your body right, your mind right and your health on point.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. Episode 132 is answers to your training questions. A while ago I posted on Facebook asking for your questions for a coaching Q&A episode and these are the answers to those questions. Ron comes on to help me out on this one, making for a fun and interesting chat too. I hope you get a lot from this episode and don't forget to add your questions next time I post or just email me your questions and I'll add them to another one of these special podcasts. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, would you be able to do me a favour and subscribe and write a review? I appreciate all your support and the link is in the show notes. As I have so so few coaching places left, I've started a new program, Peak Performance Mindset Coaching. This is one-on-one mindset coaching sessions conducted over Zoom and recorded for you to keep. It is designed to specifically suit your needs of developing a peak performance mindset and approach to running. This is a very limited program as it is highly personalised, so I recommend quickly getting onto my website, peakendurancecoaching.com.au and filling out the form to get yourself on the waiting list. Enjoy the episode
2: hey it's tom here back with some more thoughts uh today i wanted to talk a little bit about training being used as a coping mechanism but also um as a scapegoat and kind of the warnings between the two or uh difference between using it as a coping mechanism but also using it to run away um these, this idea kind of comes from my own issues, uh, from my life and things I've struggled with. Um, and because you now I use running and training as a coping mechanism myself, um, stress and dealing with that kind of stuff, and I've also realised that at times I use it to escape, at times I shouldn't, and it can actually negatively, negatively affect uh, my life because of it. Uh, I'm escaping and not facing things I should and you know, sometimes I can get it and realize this before I do it, but other times I can't, but I think it's important to identify them. And it's kind of something I wanted to kind of maybe bring to people's attention that I haven't thought about it and question if they're maybe using it as a scapegoat or, you know, if it's not just a coping mechanism for them, because um, it can really bring about some damage to the actual personal life. And, you know, training and running is great and important, but, at the end of the day, it's there to benefit um, and add to our lives, not take over and take away. And there's just kind of some thoughts I just wanted to bring uh, today.
0: Thanks. So you like running, but you're feeling pain or irritation you can't enjoy it like you once did. Or worse, your performance has taken a big hit. Now you're reminiscing on the good times where the wind blew past your ears. Nature looked lovely as you passed it. What are you waiting for? Go and visit the specialist at Health and High Performance. With the latest in technology and a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can help you with all your running injury and performance needs. Let's get you back to doing something you love with the results you're capable of. Head over to healthhp.com.au slash run. Or you can find them on Instagram at healthhighperformance. Health and High Performance are located in Mount Albert, Melbourne, but are available for telehealth appointments not only australia wide but also around the world. So contact them now on their website to find out more.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Today with me, I have Ron. Hello. And Ron is here today to help me out because I the podcast today is your questions, coaching questions. This is a coaching Q&A episode. And I thought it would be easier if Ron could ask the questions and I'll give the answers clearly, but then we could also have a bit of a discussion and um, sort of open it up a little bit more with things that might pop into your head i won't know when you're listening but ron might be able to give us some clues you might all righty so a couple of months ago time flies i posted on facebook asking in different groups for your questions that you would like me to focus on for the podcast and these are them we will see how we go hopefully we'll get through them all if not we may have to do a part two otherwise i will do a part two at some point with getting more questions but let's get cracking. What's the first question, Ron? Okay,
3: the first question is to do with cross-training. Uh, what sort of cross-training should we do and how often should we do it?
1: All right, cross-training obviously is training that we do to help and support our running. And we do it because we want to improve our running. Now that might be improving our running through not getting injured, or it might be improving our running through providing a different stimulus. So we need to decide which one it is. <clears throat> If we find that we we train five to six days a week running and we get injured and we can only train, say, three days a week running or four days a week, I'd say at a minimum you need to do four days a week, then you can probably do a little bit more cross-training, maybe three days a week cross-training, as in having maybe a swimming session on a running day. But if you are just doing it to support your running, I would say one to two times a week. Okay, so the types of cross-training. There is cycling. You can do that on a stationary bike either at at home you've got the special clamps for the back wheel or at a gym or you could go for a gravel bike or a mountain bike you can of course um, train on a road bike I just am hesitant to encourage that only because I think the roads are so dangerous um, and cars are so not accommodating of cars these days but personally i would be very hesitant to ride on the road for fear of getting injured or worse. So if you are training on a stationary bike or a gravel or mountain bike, you can do um, standing work. So if it lets, it's easy to do it on a stationary bike. If you're on a normal bike, you can just stand in, in the pedals and push up a hill. That really strengthens the legs for running. And tempo work, just getting it into a decent hard gear, not so hard that you're ripping your knees out, and just crank the legs over and really get some work done. You can, of course, do all of this on a road bike as well. A Elliptical trainer is good. I can hardly say the word if you're injured because it, is, uh, it mimics the running style, but without any painting, it just um, is boring. So that's the problem with that oh, one. Yes. And it, of course, it relies on gyms being open, which at the moment is, certainly if you're in Victoria, very infrequently. Swimming is also another good one if you are prone to injury because um, it's, it's non-weight bearing. For that reason though, of course, if you are purely... If you're doing a lot of swimming, then your muscles don't get, and bones don't get the same strength benefits. Um, also swimming require it, it really is good for strengthening your lungs and those sorts of things. But and, and it's great. And and every time the pools are open, I think I should go for a swim, but then I get so bored. <laughs> it all depends.
3: I find it very difficult swimming as well. Um, it's it's a whole different use of your lungs.
1: Yeah, yes. You know, the,
3: the whole holding your breath and breathing in and out um, quickly. I find even though I'm fit for my running, I find when I first start back at swimming, I'm not fit for swimming because it's a whole other way of breathing.
1: And to be honest, it's the same with all of these cross training things that um, like certainly when I get back on the bike, I I need to get my cycling legs again, you know, and, and you will. But the swimming is good with the breathing because it does, you know, people I remember back in the day, we used to have those things where you breathe in and out of them to strengthen your lungs. So yeah. not, not the altitude masks, but something like that. So it is similar in that regard. It, it is good, especially if you have asthma. I believe it's good with helping with that. Walking is another good form of cross-training, which is something we do quite regularly yeah. because we have a dog, now. So well, we have... He's, yeah.
3: he's not behind uh, us now.
1: That's his bed <laughs> behind us. The only dog I know that has his own bed. <laughs> um, you know, so we take Jack for a walk every day and... Um, Walking is good because it loosens out the legs and, and it's not as high impact, but um, and it is still being on your feet. So it does add to that. Now, we have recently taken up rollerblading, or I have, yeah. Ron's bronze, bronze, <laughs> um, done ice skating before. But, you know, that works the legs quite well and it's um, it's a challenge. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> especially going down the hill. And, and that's my only other concern is like, it's really good, but it, there is the potential for injury. I haven't run a blade twice, but I haven't fallen yet, and, um, and I, which is just as well because I refuse to wear knee pads. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. Also, yoga um, is really good. There's lots of one-legged balances and um, mobility, which I actually think yoga is one of the best things as cross training. My personal favourites are yoga and cycling um, or benefits for running. Cycling benefits running. Unfortunately, running doesn't benefit cycling. So it only works one way. But um, many years ago I was injured and I couldn't um, run for six weeks and I was just on the bike. And um, I can't remember when it was and what race it was, but I know I did really well in some races after, um, after that long cycling sessions. And I did a lot of the hard tempo work on the stationary bike and that really strengthened my legs. So, yeah. Do you have any questions yourself about cross-training? Any do, thoughts about that?
3: Do you consider weightlifting or working in the gym? Of course.
1: Cross training? Yes, it is. I it. just hey. don't call it cross-training because, to me, you just do it. Twice a yeah. week, year-round, you should be doing strength training. It's To me, it's not should I do strength training, it's you do strength training. So, I guess I don't oh. think that, but you're quite right. People consider uh, weight training, cross-training. Yes, I think everybody should be doing that two times a week, like the whole body, upper and lower, and then once a week, some core work. I'm not saying I always do the core work, um, but I do definitely do the two strength training sessions a week. If you were doing, say, two strength and one yoga, I would consider the yoga the core work. So um,
3: so should we be going into the gym and lifting as heavy weights as we possibly can?
1: Well, there is research that shows that lifting heavy really is beneficial to running, and I have done that Um I always, um, and, and I would use to cycle my training really heavy in the base period, then moving towards more functional. But I find for the FKT, because gyms were shut and um, I started off only doing body weight because we didn't have any weights. Then We bought some and I got into more lighter weight, functional stuff. I just find my body held up so much better from having done the body weight and functional exercises. It didn't break down like I used to. Um, when I was only focusing on heavy weights. And I'm I'm finding the same with the clients that I coach, they are getting the same benefits. So mm-hmm. um, the reason you're not meant to do light weights is you already do enough endurance work. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying doing um, light weights and 30 reps. It should be heavy enough that 12 to 15 reps is enough. Um, but previously, you know, it was heavy, it was six to eight, 12 to 15 reps. But um, you're working. The body in such a way that it supports your running, so you're working on similar um, movement patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And how about uh, the plyo work that you do? Yes, is that yes. So I cross training. Yes. Is
1: that... <laughs> yes. yes. <Okay. laughs> See how much cross training. I'm, I'm, I'm
3: just not sure whether that is, you know, comes more to stretching or to cross training. No,
1: plyo is not stretching. It's more power. Um, oh, power. Yeah, I guess, um especially as we get over 30, um, Just a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah. um, you need, uh, we lose our elasticity and um, and especially the longer you run, you sort of, you get more of that shuffle clod and and we need elasticity. Certainly when you're running in the bush, you need to be able to spring over those logs and that sort of stuff and, and all those things you potentially can trip over. And um, doing some plyometrics adds to your um, explosiveness and your ability to, to move quickly. agility and all that sort of stuff and um it's really important that you don't do too much so i would not be doing plyo year round i cycle it in and out of my athletes programs and as they get closer to a race i'll do a small amount of plyo and and when we do the plyo myself included it's only five to ten minutes twice a week okay okay um because there is the potential for injury and i do not go in for all these box jumps and that sort of stuff because I've heard of too many accidents of people uh, hurting themselves. I've known personal trainers who've broken wrists, broken legs, um, damaged knees, damaged chins. So to me, I prefer to keep the plyo simple, but it is still highly effective. I have lots of different exercises and... um, very very effective and very important thank you see mm. if you hadn't been here i'd have forgotten about so
3: so what you're saying is the purpose of cross training is not to injure yourself it's yeah. to to not injure yourself that's so right. if you go too hard in the cross training then you're taken away from your running
1: yes yes
3: excellent
1: you know and, and that's the same going with the cycling i'm saying don't do the road bike yeah. and why i said potentially a gravel bike instead of a mountain bike i used to race mountain bike so i'm confident on a mountain bike yes. um so that's not a problem for me. But for someone else who hasn't ridden a mountain bike like before, you, <laughs> you might fall off might. like you. Yes. Um, so therefore, a gravel bike would be easier and sticking to fire roads and that sort of stuff. That's not to say that's not any less beneficial. Yeah. You can probably grind it out up a hill on a um, fire road better than you can trying to weave your way up a single track hill. Yeah. But mountain biking is fun. There's that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on to the next question. Yeah. Um, the next question is to do with night running. Um, how much of it should we do leading into a race and, and what are the benefits why should we do it
1: all right so it's really important if your race is going to go into the night or through the night that you do some night running you need to practice this and there's a couple of good reasons firstly you need to test what your head torch is like and i'm i'm talking about the beam but other things as well so you need to see like there are certain torches that have a really wide or narrow, what suits you the best. I always recommend head torches which have more than one light source. If it's just one, you you don't, especially if it's foggy, you don't, you cannot see as well. Um, And you just want a greater spread of light. Not only that are you testing for the head torch? how comfortable is it? If you're running, is it bashing around all over your head? Can you tighten it? If it's tight and doesn't move around, are you getting a sore head so I mean, mm-hmm. if i have it too tight it hurts my head so i find um for me the petzl neo which is what you got me yep. onto. do before that i used Aups, and they were great but the, when you've got a lot of hair like me they didn't sit on my head right mm-hmm. whereas the petzl does and i find um, it's much lighter as well so that's another thing the a up is really bright and awesome it's got this huge battery and it weighs a ton and the battery doesn't last as long mm-hmm. So you've got to think about all of those things. And the only way you can find out is to test them. Even if you have to borrow them off, friends, I've lent I lend people my headport just so they can try different kinds. Mm-hmm. You don't always have to buy. Next. There is a difference between your depth perception with a head port and then with during the day. So you need to find out what that's like and not. And it changes throughout the night. So as you move from evening to dusk to dark, that's completely different to when it's completely dark. So you need to test your head torch through those stages. Then again in the morning, going from um, dark to pre-dawn to dawn, it changes and your depth perception changes and everything changes and you need to test what your head torch is like through those. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you need to train at night in the evening and you also need to train early in the morning. Okay, so Mm -hmm. that's what is recommended. Just do your runs at those times. It's not like doing extra running, you just Mm -hmm. do them then. How often, as often as you can, not every single run, but you know, maybe um, in the, you know, two months leading up to it, you know, one run a week. Certainly if you're a, a, um, a race sort of in spring or something, you have trained through winter. So you probably will have run in the dark yeah. in the mornings. Yeah. Okay.
3: Um, all right, the next question is what sort of cross training should we do if we have Achilles or plantar issues? Um, which, which may stop or definitely reduce your running. Mm. Um, what sort of specific training recommendations would you suggest?
1: All right, so with Achilles um, and plantar issues, really, you need to train on the flat because the hills, it's getting up in the toes and everything um, as you're pushing up hills and, and going downhills, it's really going to hurt it. Um, Flats, load mainly, okay? So cut back kilometres. Stretch the calves for both both of those require calf stretching and I would recommend rolling the foot on a ball. Um, w- the person who asked about this asked about mountain biking. Now I would say um, that the stiff shoes, stiff bike shoes and even the mountain, well, you can get some mountain biking shoes. I'm talking about the clipping ones uh, because I'm considering that if you're riding you're using clip not runners. Um, you, those stiff bike shoes can actually make plantar and Achilles worse. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially if you're on a road bike, it will make it, could make it worse. Um, a lot of the mountain bike shoes are they're going to be stiffer than normal shoes even the mountain bike ones so I would be really careful with that because those stiff shoes um, yeah will make it worse so training recommendations for trail running deload and I would recommend getting off the trails for a bit too and sticking to you know sort of flatter gravel paths maybe off the bitumen and concrete but gravel but not um, really technical trail and not too hilly Wow. And lots of calf stretching, lots of rolling, mm-hmm. massage if you can, and possibly a lot of praying because they take a long time to heal. <laughs> they do yes, praying to the trail gods.
3: Okay, the next question. I'm hoping you can understand exactly what they're asking because I'm not quite sure. But it says, "Can you coach a runner to be an ace pacer, and what would be the difference anyway?"
1: Um, I'm not really sure about yeah. the second bit. What would be the difference? Can you train someone to be a, coach? Someone to be an ace. Pace up i guess you can and um, i'm assuming you mean someone will pace you during a race <clears throat> and i think this uh, woman who wrote this was going to be pacing for somebody else and she oh wanted God. to know mm-hmm. right so basically run with that person that you're going to be pacing find out what they're like and maybe do some long runs find out what they're like when they get grumpy um, if things aren't going well in a run when they get hungry um, you know and and maybe some people don't really get grumpy I mean you know I don't know um but maybe they do Uh, you need to also sit down and talk to them what should I say to you when you feel this because they'll know what stages they go through when they're racing say to them what should I do when you say you're feeling nauseous what should I do when you're saying oh my god I can't go any further I just want to quit I'm pulling out of the next aid station Tell them ahead of ask them ahead of time what should I do when that happens? Do you have any tips for paces because you've paced me and
3: I have yes. I,
1: have you paced other people before?
3: Uh, yeah, I have paced uh, one or two others. Yeah. That, the first thing um, you probably need to speak to them about is whether they're re- what they want out of you. Do they mm. just want company? Do they want someone who is going to make sure they stay awake or, or don't get lost? They want someone who's going to push their pace, or you know, encourage them to run. Um, or are they just happy for you to run along behind them and and know that you're there?
1: Yeah, and and that's it because um, some people and and also what do they respond better to? Do they respond better to woohoo, you're awesome, you're doing great, or do they respond better to get you yeah. You know,
3: yeah.
1: Find out what they respond better to it because it people or oh, everyone's different. Yeah, and and I certainly know for myself I wouldn't respond well to someone yelling at me No, but some people do and, you know, some people, everyone requires different kinds of motivation so find out from them because they're the only ones that will know.
3: Yeah, and also, the you know, the most important thing to remember is that you're actually there for them so, yeah. you know, it's not all about you, it's all about them. So the best thing to do as a pastry is to just understand the person you're placing and to all within your power to get them to the end
1: yeah yeah that that's a really good point um and and also you need to have bucket loads of patience yes yeah because it might be going they might be going slower than you would like or normally would mm-hmm. and thus you might be and getting cold so make sure you've got yeah. lots of clothes too um and all the food and all that but yes patience 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 yes yeah
3: all right, next question. Um, can you transfer a 50-kilometer road training plan easily to a 50-kilometer 50 50 kilometer trail event?
1: Yes. Yes, you can. Because basically, at the end of the day, you can transfer a road marathon um, training plan. And when I, we say transfer, I'm assuming you mean um, apply you know go through that process and still run a 50k yeah, trail so, race. so you're below,
3: yeah. you think you've been training for a trail marathon or trail 50 and then suddenly it turns into a, a road, road 50 yeah
1: yeah or, vice versa. yeah or vice versa yeah easy i mean you can marathon training is sufficient for a 50k race so a 50k road race training will be fine for a 50k trail race sure you might not have um done your running any running on the trail and thus you know you haven't got your trail legs but personally, I think if you're training for a road um, run, you should be doing at least one run a week on the trails anyway. A couple of reasons, develop leg strength and ankle strength and all that sort of stuff, and also just to, um, mentally get off the road as well. And it's better for the legs to have some runs, not on bitumen or concrete. <clears throat> if you can run 50K on the road, if you know it's trained for that and you can do that, you can run 50K on the trails. It's... it's, it's for sure easy enough it will be longer it will take longer it will possibly be a little bit harder but you know what if it's on the trails you probably get the opportunity to walk up the hills so mm-hmm. bonus mm-hmm. um and and of course in saying that it's always best to train specifically so if you know ahead of time um yes you can use a road training program but then do some of those runs on the trail it's better to train specifically but if, if you haven't, if you've done all your training for the road and then it turns out you've been cancelled and you're doing another one on the trail, it will actually be fine. It will stand you in perfectly good stead because running on the roads gives you um, good speed and stamina and that will carry over well to trails. Anything you think we can add to that?
3: Yeah, which, which is why as part of a good um, training program, if you're training for the trails, is to add in some road runs because yep. it encourages speed, it encourages rhythm, um, which yeah. is always something that you don't always get out of the trails, and it encourages you actually run a lot more when you're
1: yeah.
3: when you're on the road.
1: Yeah, which is way harder. <laughs> it's way harder.
3: There's
1: no there's no walking breaks except no, for traffic not. lights, yeah. unless you don't get any traffic lights, and then that really sucks. <laughs> but uh, sorry, talking about us. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, but it, it is it, it is um, good to train on the roads, even for trails. So whether you're training for a road. 50k or a trail 50k you should be running on both trails and roads so it actually shouldn't matter
3: okay next question is the easiest way to get faster to train more
1: yes and just keep training more until you're doing 100 hours a week training that's right and
3: and at full pace that's
1: right and (laughs) as fast as you can every single run no no if only it was that simple actually thank god it's not that simple because then we would all be training 100 kilometers a week a week a day um because in certain cases, it is true. The more you run, the more you run, the faster you'll get. But that's only when you're starting from like as a beginner runner. And we've all noticed that when we're a beginner runner, and we slowly keep up the amount of running we're doing, we're, we're improving. But that's just um, because you're a beginner runner. Once you get to a sort of you know a steady kilometer distance, there comes a point of diminishing returns where increasing the amount of training you're doing leads to more injuries more being run down, all those sorts of things. So there is a sweet spot and the sweet spot is different for every person. My sweet spot personally is around 120 kilometers a week. Others, um, like yourself, it's more like 90 k's, right? So it all depends. You need to know your own body. The way to get faster is to train correctly, not to train more. And you train correctly by mixing up between running on roads and trails, so developing strength. You um, train correctly by having some quality sessions where you um, throughout the season work on different um, elements of um, your fitness and also you train correctly by having strength work and having easy runs and running easy on your easy days I always say easy on your easy days so you can train hard on your hard days if you don't have the differentiation in training and every day is the same you will not get faster and if you run every even your easy runs oh um, I always do this loop. Each time I run it, I've got to get faster. Then that's no longer an easy run. That's why I never try to run always the same loop on my easy runs. I try to run different things because then I can't compare it. And um, because some days I'll be absolutely shattered and it'll just be a plod. Others days, it'll be a bit faster. I'll be feeling better. Run mm-hmm. with how you feel, but that doesn't mean I'm feeling good, so I'm going to run really fast. When I say run by feel... Today is an easy day. I'm going to run so that it feels easy. Yep. So it should feel easy. It doesn't matter if you're feeling good. That's right. That means your training's working. Yep. So take it easy. And then the next day when you're still feeling good because you didn't wear yourself out, then you can train hard on your hard day. Do you have any thoughts on that one too, Ron? I feel like you do. Um,
3: the, the thing to remember, you know, as Isabel says with running how you feel, if you've set out a plan or your coach has set out a plan to do an easy run and you start your easy run and you get three Ks in and you think, oh, I'm feeling really good, I might just pick the pace up. You have to work against that. You have, yeah. to, have to not do that. If it's an easy run, decide beforehand or have, you know, if your coach has decided, for well, you stick to that plan. There's yeah. a reason for that. Yes. Um, it works. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, otherwise, you know, every run you go out to, you know, it starts as an easy run and then by the time you finished, it was no
1: longer an easy run. It's become a tempo. Yeah. And then every run becomes a tempo and then you just either overtrain and get yourself into a hole or you plateau yeah. completely. Um, yeah. And the plateauing is a good option. Um,
3: I also feel like it's good to lay out a week's plan because um, if you just go day by day and go, I'll see how I feel as to what I do, you know, quite often you get to the end of the week and realise you haven't done a quality session. Or, you know, you get to the end of the week and you realise you should have done two quality sessions, but you did one yesterday and now you've still got to do another one. So you're doing two quality sessions one after the other.
1: Which is no good. Don't do that.
3: So plan your week out and stick to that plan as best you can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So And that's what I said here. Mix up the quality sessions. now recovery runs. More can lead to overtraining. So more is not always better. Sometimes less is better. And Mm -hmm. if, you know, if also by the same token, talking about running by feel, if you start doing a quality session and you're feeling really terrible and not good at all, and, oh, you know, you can't hold the paces, sometimes it's easy. It's a good idea to change it to an easy run. And I've been known to do that. I've started my, I haven't, I've been like, "Mm, I'm not quite sure how I'm feeling. I'll give it a crack. I I, I try to do some of the session I can't, I just change it to an easy run because there's always, and I don't try and make it up the next day. My body's telling me something. So I listen to my body the next day, I still do an easy run or I'll have a rest day or whatever it is. And then I just go back to the quality session when it was next in my plan. I don't add it in and double up quality sessions to long runs to whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All
3: right, next question is, how many A events should... Well, first of all, what is an A event? And yeah. second of all, how many A events should a recreational runner plan for in a year?
1: All right. So I an A event. Yes, Jack. Of the
3: corner. Hello, Jack.
1: <laughs> Sorry to those people who are only listening, but our dog has got his head between our shoulders. Sort of. um, an A race is your priority race. Okay. Now, it's possible to have A races, B races, and some people even go so far as C races. I just think A and B races a races are your main races b races would be your training races and i guess a c race might be just one that you do to socialize with friends i think it's really important to do b races b races are so good at training your nutrition training what it's like being with other people when you're running and not getting caught up with them and their paces training for um going through aid stations and, and carrying all the kit and what it feels like on race morning and the nerves because you're still a bit nervous even though it's a b race i don't know about you but i certainly do um so it's really important to do b races and um and not to treat every race as an a race and the reason for that is i think you should do probably two to three a races a year which i know some people won't like hearing but your body only has so much and your mind so many races that it can put a hundred percent into. You can't keep putting 100% into races week after week after week, not in ultras. And even in 5Ks, if you're trying to race your um, park run every week really hard, that's going to eventually break you down as well. Sometimes your park run should just be a temper session. Nothing wrong with that. It's a quality session, you know. So two to three big A races a year, I would, yeah, two to three, um, because you need to factor in that you're going to be tapering, you need to factor in that you need recovery, and that takes a lot of time. If you, if you do tapering and recovery properly, if you do more than two to three races a year, then all you're doing is tapering and recovering. I'm not really sure when you're doing your training. Um, you can use three races as training, like tempo runs, like I said, or for training all the different elements, and they are, that is equally worthy as an A race. Um, maybe it won't look as good in your results, but Who are you racing for? Are you racing for yourself or for other people? Hopefully you're racing for yourself and what you want to achieve. So work on that. Use that time and use the sea races. I guess probably sea races are valid to socialize with friends, take photos, go do a scenic run and that sort of thing. I also think it is fun to do races, to go and train in different places. So yes, I understand why people want to race a lot, but for A races, which is 100% effort, two to three a year. Have you ever known people to do more than that?
3: Um, I have just in recent times. I've been reading up on a certain runner, can I, should I name? No. Who has raced a lot.
1: And and there are people over the years in all countries that have done that. And and generally what tends to happen is they burn out in some way, shape, or form, whether it's through injury. Um, I've known athletes overseas who have gotten chronic fatigue, um, Adrenal fatigue, which is kind of the same, although some doctors say it doesn't exist, but I don't know. It's a thing. Um, But generally, injury at least. And so we need to be super careful. The human body is a complex machine, for want of a better word, but it is also, it does have vulnerabilities. You can't just keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. There comes a point where it says enough. And if you don't listen when it's telling you, when it's whispering to you, it is going to yell at you. And it will yell at you by injuring you or making you really sick until you have to stop and you don't want to be in that position. So sometimes you have to put the not so much ego aside, but the pride perhaps aside and go this race, I'm not gonna, you know, pe- people are gonna see that I'm not pushing hundred percent. I'm just you know using it as a training run and tell people if you want to. I'm this is a training run. you're not sandbagging if it's the truth.
3: Yeah, and every now and then you see someone pop up, like your Killians or your Pat farmers who you know, have that have that body where they can go out and they can train two hundred to two hundred and fifty yeah. kilometers a week.
1: Yeah. And
3: you know, there's a temptation for us to go. Well, if he can do it, yeah, why can't I? Um,
1: but they're the genetic anomalies.
3: That's right. <laughs> you shouldn't be comparing yourself to those sorts of people because they're very far and few and few and far between.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and unfortunately, well, probably I don't know. Fortunately or unfortunately, we can't all be like that. Fortunately, because it's great that we're all different. And all that means is. You have to be more creative with your training and your racing and you have to be more selective and um, really choose the races that mean something to you. I don't know about you anyway, but certainly with the prices of races, I I wouldn't be able to afford more than two to three (laughs) A races. Yeah, that's right. Especially if they're
3: they're big enough to consider them an A race, then they're pretty pricey. Yeah,
1: and it's not just a race. It's (laughs) going to be travelling. It's going to be the kit you need. It's like, whoa, who can afford that? You know, so... um, there's that to take into consideration too but yes we my role as a coach and and my aim is to get people to be in this sport as long as possible because i love this sport and i think everyone else does we're not runners because we don't love it and we want to run forever for as long as we possibly can and the only way we can do that is to look after our bodies doesn't matter how young you are and think oh it's so far in the future I, i don't need to think about it yet Believe you me I used to think like that and here it is, you know, yeah. it comes eventually. Yeah. You do get older and, and, but that's, well, that's awesome for starters, but then you just have to be um, more creative with how you go about doing things. But yes, even when you're young, look after your body because it's the only one you got and you don't want it to say to you, that's it. You are not running anymore.
3: Yep. Yeah. very good. Okay, next question.
1: Just having a look at <laughs> how many more questions we've got. How long have we been recording?
3: I didn't look.
1: Neither did I. How professional is that?
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
1: I'm just wondering if we should do this one as the last one. Okay. I can't. Uh, well, let's do this one, and see how long it goes. Um,
3: so, there is um, quite a bit of conjecture about using poles.
1: Yes. Some people
3: think that using polls is cheating.
1: And I think, although we won't say his name, I think we know who, yes. who wrote this question. Yes. The question is, is using polls cheating? Well, obviously me, being the person who loves polls, would say no. And, and it's actually not cheating, unless the rules say you're uh, not allowed to use polls, which some races know are saying that. Um,
3: Even in Australia?
1: Not in Australia. No. Sorry, I was thinking of overseas races. Yeah. So I was meant to be doing Barclay Fall Classic this year. When I did the Barclay Fall Classic in 2018, we could get our poles from approximately three quarters of the way. This year, um, no poles were allowed, right. so which was really interesting. I'll, I've got some. Yeah, it, it was a very hard race. But that I was like, oh my god, that would have been so super hard. But so in that case, yes, it would be cheating. If poles are allowed, then it's not cheating. And I know it was a tongue-in-cheek question, and the person was more meaning. You know, it's it, it's not about the rules, but is it cheating in the moral of the sport? <clears throat> I still don't believe it's cheating because um, because I don't know why, but they help. And is wearing runners with grip cheating? Mm. Is um, carrying um, lightweight gear cheating? is, um, you know, wearing a better head torch than you, cheating. Yeah. If I get a better head torch than you, am I cheating? Do we all have exactly the same equipment like they do with the Formula One? Everyone has to have everything the same to be yeah. the only way that's not cheating? So, no, it's not cheating because we all have different things. We all have different budgets and we all have whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Poles are not cheating, but they do help immensely. They make a huge difference, and I highly recommend them because they make it way easier. Not cheating, just easier. (laughs) There's a distinction. It's
3: not cheating if everyone can do it.
1: Yes, if everyone has the capacity and is able to do it if they want to, then it's not cheating. Yes, it does make it easier. Um, It makes climbing the hills way easier. It makes descending, technical, slippery, horrible hills, and especially when your legs are knackered by the end of a 100-miler, makes that easier. It even makes the flats easier when you're really tired and exhausted. Um, <clears throat> so I um, highly recommend poles, and but they've got to be used correctly because I have seen people using poles correctly, and then, I tell you, it's not helping at all. It's just making things worse because you're using carrying this weight around with you that's not actually helping. And also those people I've known of people have bought poles, pop them in their pack and not use them for the whole race. Once again, carrying weight that you don't need to carry. So if you're not going to use them, don't even bother. And if you're not going to use them correctly, don't even bother. But if you use them correctly, they are an immense help. Excellent. And you started using poles once you met me, didn't That's you? That's
3: right. I'd never used them beforehand. Um, I was a hand on my thighs you know, push off on my thighs sort and of And nothing person. wrong
1: with that, except you don't get as much air in your lungs because you bend yeah. forward so much.
3: Never really thought about it, to be honest. To, you know, I didn't have poles, so I didn't bother using them. Um, but once I started using them and started to use them properly, um, I've noticed it has been, especially once we start doing a lot of elevation, it's a huge help.
1: Mm. Yeah.
3: And now, and now, you know, I almost, you know, gasp at the thought of having to use... <laughs> you know use my hands and my thighs to push off
1: and then it's funny because (laughs) the other week we went for a run and you said oh can we do it as a poles run
3: yeah
1: and i'm like oh okay considering
3: we did over two thousand meters that day yeah yeah
1: i was like thank god for the poles um it is good to train without the poles as well as to train with the poles train without the poles to develop the leg strength train with the poles to get used to using poles personally for myself i've never had problems with poles because i did a lot of skiing and I think once you know how to use poles when you're skiing, mm-hmm. you pretty much know how to use poles. Yeah. You didn't You didn't really use poles. You didn't scare you with snowboarding more. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So um, if you're a snowboarder, it doesn't apply to you. No. <laughs> um, yes. So I think we will do one more question. Okay. This one. I didn't highlight that one, but that is.
3: Okay. Um, some good training and race day food and nutritional ideas for someone suffering a uh, food intolerance or dietary requirement, um, specifically gluten intolerance, um, but you know, there are many others other than gluten intolerances nowadays. Um, yep, go on. Uh, and you know, how should we use it for training and running, especially a 24 hour event? Um, and with the, with the training, uh, what sort of um, nutritional advice would you have for muscle building and recovery?
1: Alrighty, so when they say so muscle. I guess
3: it's a twofold. Yeah. Um, you know, what do you do on race day and what do you do in training?
1: Yes, and oh, the heat has come back on. That's why it's boiling in <laughs> here. Um, the uh, the muscle building, I'm presuming they're meaning more sort of stopping muscle breakdown. Yeah. All right. No, I'm not a dietitian. And if you have a gluten intolerance, you probably should be seeing a dietitian to talk about that sort of thing. I'm getting my cert for currently in nutrition. So I do have some nutritional. Um, knowledge but um legally i need to say that you need to speak to a um dietitian i'm just giving you advice based on what i believe <clears throat> so basically if you're if you're gluten intolerant you know what foods you can and cannot eat but basically that doesn't change you use that in your racing and training you use your gluten-free breads although. God knows they're a bit sort of dry and hard, and you'd have to choke that down. They're better now. Uh-huh.
3: No, they
1: yeah. are. Yeah. When when was the last time you tried some? Oh, it's, it's
3: been a while, but I, I know oh. people who are um, oh, celiacs, okay. and and the bread, you know, five years ago or even ten years ago, the bread was more cake than bread.
1: Oh, I, I um, thought it was more cardboard. No, and... it was
3: more cake than bread, uh, but mm. now you know the, it's. Well.
1: I was trying some gluten-free bread only a year or two ago and I thought it was horrendous, but that's just me. That's
3: just because you spoil it with the good bread. Yes. (laughs) When when you can't eat the good bread, then I guess, you know, your expectations change.
1: Yeah. So, um, but basically you should be used to that and you should know what you can have. I mean, to be honest, I, I can't tell you what you should eat because only you know. And um, so obviously go for gluten free stuff. And if you have any kind of intolerance, like personally, I've got um, quite a lot of food intolerances. I don't eat food from the aid station because I don't know what I'm getting. So I will only eat food that I pack for myself. I I hide my drop bags or I'll have a crew, whatever it is, I will eat what I know I can eat. And um, especially if there's home-baked things, I won't eat that because I've been known to do that and I was horrendously ill. So I would not be eating anything from the aid station, only bringing your own foods. And that includes drinks because um, the the pre-packaged drinks, you know, they make them from powders or whatever. You don't know what's in that. It could have something in it that sets you off. So either go onto the website of the race and then find out what they're using and train with that or don't use anything at the aid station. Those are your two options. But you don't want to be trying something new on race day. It's, It's an you know, it's a well-known piece of advice not to do anything new on, on race day. And that includes any of the food at the aid station that you have not tried before. And certainly with the drinks that they make up the aid stations, my other issue is even when you've tested them at home, everybody makes them up differently. And I can tell you when they've got that huge vat and they're scooping it in, I don't know. It's so hard yeah. to tell. And you like your electrolyte drinks really sweet. I like yeah. it really weak. So if Ron made it and he tested it, oh, yeah, that's perfect, and I went to drink it, I'd go, that's horrible. So um, they may test it and they may go, that's perfect, and you might drink it and get instant stomach cramps. So even if you've tested it personally, I still believe you should only be drinking your own things. I take little sachets of of the electrolyte powder that I know works for me. I only stick to my things, and I always have done that. To be honest, I don't even drink their water because – chlorinated water upsets my stomach. So I I only drink filtered water. So, yes, I'm a bit of a princess, but...
3: It does create some issues for us when we do a long run.
1: (laughs) It does, because I can't drink from the taps. That's why I make sure I bring all my own drinks as much as possible, because I hate buying bottled water. But um, when I'm racing, I have to admit, I do use bottled water, and I feel terrible for it, but I just cannot drink. I literally cannot drink... um, chlorinated water and I instead well I just don't drink it because it actually makes me sick physically makes me sick um so don't eat from the aid stations train with what you have what you know you can eat and um race with it too in regards to foods for muscle building and recovery well I highly recommend protein in whatever sort you find suits you ethically and um, financially and whatever so personally for me I eat meat so I will have um, some form of meat at lunch and dinner you know Um, I'll have protein powder on my porridge in the morning I'll have peanut butter on my toast for snack so I always have some form of protein source with every meal you really need protein for um, muscle recovery and rebuilding and I'm training most days, twice a day. I'm either running in the morning and then weight training in the afternoon or in a normal world, maybe doing yoga or something else. So I'm at least going for a walk. So although that's not training, it's doing something, but certainly if you're training twice a day, you need to make sure you're getting lots of protein. And even once a day, you know, you need protein. And when you finish your run, you need some form of protein when you finish. And protein helps keep you feel feeling full up for longer it's more sati- satiating i don't know how to say it satiating yes i think you're right i just can't <laughs> speak sometimes there's certain <laughs> words i find really difficult and even though i know that's how i say it i won't be able to say it again <laughs> um it's like it's like that bone in your back that i yes. can't say Tailbone. yes um so when you try to say i can't it. say it um we've had lessons in it and i still can't say <laughs> it uh, so basically If you have any kind of intolerance, it could be gluten intolerance, it could be whatever it is, or if you're vegan or if you're whatever, you stick to what you know works for you because you don't know what you're getting at an aid station. And, yeah, so just stick to what you know. What are your thoughts on that one? Um,
3: I I don't know if we want to get into this, but um, talking about um, planning your nutrition for a race you know setting out drop bags you know what sort of food should you be eating um uh, you know what sort of plan should you make what sort of calories should you um be taking in in a race and what and what sort of foods should you be eating to get that calorie
1: once again whatever suits you you should be consuming anywhere between two to 300 calories, although I've also been told three to 400 calories, but I think that's almost a bit unrealistic, two to 300 calories an hour. Um, And personally, I have my list of foods that I've written out with all their calories, and that includes, you know, sandwiches, wraps. I've calculated it all. Then I work out what I'm going to eat to maintain those calories, and I bag them up for the different sections of a race. It's whatever works for you. Now, I have found certain things that work for me that don't cause my stomach to get upset. But then I've also found certain things that work for me that don't cause my stomach to upset, get upset but when I race on this particular day. They do upset my stomach. OK, so it's like, you know, I was just being with a client. It, it depends. What did I eat the day before? Am I well hydrated? It all depends. If You need to be really well hydrated to be able to digest foods properly. So no matter what you're eating in a race, you need to be making sure you're still drinking water. Not over drinking. I'm not talking about that. That's sipping. So mm-hmm. Otherwise, you end up with this huge bolus in your stomach because it's a huge lump of food and it can't go anywhere and you're running and it's jiggling and it's horrible. Um, the water helps to break it down and helps you to digest it. And that actually, we might as well finish the questions because what causes stomach issues and how to deal with them when they arise, that's what I'm talking about, drinking lots of water. What causes stomach issues? Like I said, it depends on what you have eaten the day before. Also, you can go back to the podcast number 119 with Louise Burke or number 53 with Ricardo Costa. A lot of great info there. I'm also soon going to be interviewing Patrick Wilson, who is the author of The Athlete's Gut, I'm interviewing him uh, towards the end of October, 20th of October. And his book is all about stomach distress in athletes. So that's one to look out for. That will be um, out around early November, I'm presuming. But basically, two to 300 calories per hour, fluids regularly. Just make sure that you don't eat anything with heaps of salt and heaps of sugar, because those things tend to upset your stomach more. And
3: also, um, it's a bit easier when, when you've got crew rather than drop bags, but plan for the unexpected.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, one thing we found um, when you were doing your FKT was we made all these plans. We spent the week beforehand, you know, making bags full of all the nutrition that you're going to possibly need. And I didn't need any of them. And you got 30 k's <laughs> in and it all went out because you couldn't stomach it. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah.
3: So if you've 260
1: got... 260 km- kilometres with... <laughs> yep.
3: If you've got a crew... Um, just make sure that they're aware that you might pull into an aid station and go, no, nah, whatever I said I wanted last time, I don't want it now. Yep. I can't stomach it. Yeah, we so, took all that food home
1: and I yep. just ate chicken. Yep. yep. That's
3: um, it. So, and chicken and, and noodles. Yes. yes. Um, so just be aware that no matter how much you actually plan for race day, once you get there, that might all go out the window. So the sign of good crew is to have backup options.
1: And, and for a drop bag, I would recommend also having backup options, just different things in there. And sure, you might throw it away at the end. If you've got a dog, give it to the dog or something, you know, but have some, maybe some fresher sort of things um, available because you just don't know. There's nothing worse than going, this is all the food I've got. And by God, that just makes me feel ill looking at it. That's really depressing. So, you know, A, in that situation, you might just have to force yourself. But they have some other options around. Mm-hmm. Next question. Okay.
3: Next question: How do I maintain my mental and physical state when injured, and can't run when all I want to do is drink beer, eat pizza, and disassociate yourself from running altogether?
1: All right. Now I'm sorry, but then you're just going to have to, um, well, basically, <laughs> do the complete opposite. You're going to have to volunteer for races. Volunteer for, say, Aura, where you might not even have to go to the race. You can just help out online. But I just find you really need to stay involved in the running community. Um, I haven't been injured in a long while where I've had to take time off from racing, but many years ago, I, I would just go and, if I was injured, I'd go and volunteer at races because it kept me in the community, it kept me feeling good about it. This is the time when you should actually be really focusing on your running. Do um, find a form of cross training. That's why I also think having cross training in your program is really good because then if something happens and you get injured, It's not like, oh, my God, you've got to pick something up from scratch. You already know how to do some mountain biking. You're already good at yoga. You're already used to swimming. So you can do that and you've already got that and you maybe even have some friends who do those things so you're still seeing people. And, yes, I understand about the wanting to drink beer for me. It's wine, Eat pizza. And, you know, maybe for one or two nights, do that. It's it's okay. You're allowed to feel upset and you're allowed to wallow in it, but just you're not allowed to stay there okay you can be there for a day or two but then that's enough and um you need to go right I'm gonna you know pull my socks up and just get back into it and do some form of cross training even if it's walking and just get out there volunteer stay involved in some way shape or form
3: okay very good and and I can speak from experience um volunteering at races is is a lot of fun and it's really rewarding um i've I've volunteered at many many races and the atmosphere whether you're in an aid station or as a marshal um the runners really appreciate it Mm. and they're really engaging and it's really rewarding it really makes you feel good about the um environment and the community yeah yeah it makes you want to be a part of it
1: yeah that's right and yeah you might get a bit of phono but you know it just motivates you to do the exercises the physio gave you that's right for more than a day Mm
3: -hmm. all right the final question we have is back to the cross training uh how how to make road cycling effective training for mountain running when injury and rehab means not running for months on end
1: so basically that goes back to that other question and i probably should have just slotted it in with that lots of tempo rides really really hard work lots of hills um and lots of standing running drills I also really recommend on the stationary bike obviously not on the bike when you're out in the trails single leg drills so that's what I would sit on the bike and just unclip one leg and just spin with one leg for 30 seconds then swap legs spin okay and that really gets the balance back in the legs and make sure you've got equal strength in each leg so they're really really beneficial um tempo rides are you know I would be on the stationary bike and i put it into a harder gear and just crank it out for, you know, 10 to 20 minutes and have a five-minute break, then do it again. It really makes such a difference. And the standing running jewels are about as close as you're going to get to running up a hill as you can without actually running up a hill. Um, hmm. Yeah, so that's basically that. And that is all of the questions. Question, We've through them well done us so um i hope you've enjoyed this or we hope you've enjoyed this and gotten a lot out of it and if you have more questions please feel free to post them on the peak endurance podcast facebook page and um then i can get to them and if i ever post again saying i'm doing another one of these please make sure you add your questions and of course you can also email me your questions isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Now, don't forget, if you have an interesting story to share, email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au and you might end up being on the podcast. If you got value from this episode, I would love it if you could share it with a friend, either on social media or even directly. If you do share it on socials though, don't forget to tag me so I can thank you. Have a great week of running and training and have fun out there on the roads and trails.
0: Wild Earth Australia is the online store to help you make the most out of the outdoors with top quality gear at great prices. Peak Endurance podcast listeners can use the discount code endurance that's Endurance, all one word with caps, to get 10% off at checkout. Now, who doesn't like saving money? Head on over to wildearth.com.au to get everything you need for your next adventure.